G'day, g'day everyone. This is Rita Joyan and welcome to the Unbox Your Gift podcast, how to turn a passion into a profession. I want to give a shout out to those who have left comments and feedback on episodes. Thank you to Alison Williams, who said, fabulous interview, Rita. Amazing young woman, Samia. Congratulations for having the courage, vision and passion to do the wonderful work. Thank you so much, Alison. Truly appreciate your feedback. Asmi Zakaria wrote, the world is in chaos, but there are beauties everywhere. All you need to do is look. Thanks, Rita, for bringing them to the stage. Asmi, thank you so much for your kindness and your generosity in commenting. And also for long videos, I usually up the speed and skip to only the juicy parts, but not this one. And that's a comment left for the episode we did with Dr. Yvonne Ridley who was a captive of the Taliban and uh, her story on how America's 9-11 is Afghanistan's 24-7. So appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And if you find an episode that resonates with you, that really hits the home run, we would be truly grateful if you could take that 30 seconds and leave a comment, leave a review, and even better to share it with someone who would also benefit from listening or watching if you're on YouTube. So guys, this episode today, or before I launch into it, I want to remind you that our episode today is sponsored by How to Find Your Passion Minus Your Resume. If you're looking to find what you're good at, your true north, if you're looking to get clear, come out of confusion, if you're looking to find your greatest strength or find that thing that energizes you, minus the noise, minus the so many choices, minus the clutter, minus the overthinking, then if you want to head to unboxyourgift.com, when you uh, enter your details, you will get a free training, a 60-minute masterclass on how to be able to do exactly that. Find your passion minus your resume. It's a training that's been delivered worldwide in South Asia, Australia, um, it's been delivered across different continents and, of course, on Zoom now that the pandemic has started. But it, it, it's been delivered to many audiences around the world from CPAs to professors of universities to mums at home who have taken this training and used it and been able to find their direction, saving them thousands of dollars on life coaches, thousands of dollars on university degrees that they thought they had to do to gain the significance um, and it will just be an eye opener for you to just become face to face with who you are, minus the noise, minus your degree, minus the label you have, minus the title you might have. It's just allowing you to get to the core of who you are. And if that interests you, unboxyourgift.com. It's free training, masterclass, and then go for gold with that. So our episode today is with the amazing host and executive producer of to Dine For. To Dine For is a series uh, of creators and dreamers who have reached uncommon success through ingenuity and innovation. Now, Kate herself is a four-time Emmy award-winning journalist, and she hosts uh, big, big hitters, big names, big celebrities who have in, in, in entrepreneurship, in being a creators, in being athletes, in whatever the craft that they specialize in, she takes these heavy hitters and takes them to their favorite restaurant 
and their favorite restaurant becomes the backdrop of some incredible conversations she has. Now, why is this important to you in helping you turn your passion into a profession? Because Kate, by trade, is a journalist. She anchored the news for many years. And what she has done is come completely out of her comfort zone and produce and host a show that's solely hers. Like it's her show. Just like when you go and start a business, that's your business. This is her show. And it's completely different because it wasn't handed to her like as in, Kate, here's the, the show to dine for. We want you to host it. She thought of the idea. She pitched the idea to networks. She's hustling on the ground for sponsors to fund the show. She has been able to get some, like I said, heavy hitters, big names who have made incredible contributions like Sarah Blakely of Spanx, like the founder of Tom's Shoes, like the founder of The Honest Company, Jessica Alba, um, the author of uh, Crazy Rich Asians, all of these people who, who have made big moves in the world. She brings them, interviews them, but what's really significant is as she's interviewing them, for their incredible ingenuity and innovation, she's actually in the process, as she's interviewing them with each episode, is also in the process of having her own innovation, her own ingenuity, by breaking out of the mold of being a journalist, just doing anchoring, which she enjoyed, but now has found a different calling, a different passion that she calls to dine for. And this is her interview of how she has taken something that was just an idea in her head, a passion, and brought it to fruition to the world on PBS and on Amazon Prime. So here it is with Kate Sullivan on the process of how to dine for. So, Kate, I know you're in Chicago at the moment. Are you guys in lockdown? You know, not really. So everyone has masks on. Everyone is uh, able to go into businesses. Kids are in school. Uh, my, my first grader is in school, but he's wearing a mask. So I wouldn't say lockdown. No, we're still clearly in the pandemic, but things are not, uh, they're getting better, I should say. Are you having a lot of protests where you are? No, are you? A lot, a lot. Okay. So uh, in Australia, there is, we're in lockdown. The East Coast is on lockdown. It has been for many months now. And there is protest after pro every weekend, if not now in the weekdays even. Uh, construction workers are now protesting because they don't want to force vaccination. Really? Fascinating. Yes. yes Fascinating. Yes. And what city in Australia are you in? I'm in the capital. I'm in Canberra. Sure. And then there's Sydney and Melbourne, who are the two big cities, and they're the ones that have had the most, lock Melbourne's the most lockdown, but the protests are happening uh, in those two specific cities. Really fascinating. So I spent my junior year of college in Perth, Australia, and I have a very soft spot in my heart for Australians and for Australia, oh. and just absolutely love the Aussies and, and enjoyed my time there immensely in the Margaret River area and Fremantle. And um, yeah, I would love to come back. I would love to come back. How long were you here for when you were in Perth? A year. Oh my goodness, nice. On your yes. own? You were on yeah. your own? 
Yeah, I was in college. It was my junior year of college. Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, just because I come from a background. So if I was going to go somewhere in, at that age, I would have my family coming with me. I wouldn't be allowed to go on my own. So I'm saying, you alone. <laughs> so I, I want to really dive into to dine for because like I, before I press record, I've been looking into having you yourself, Kate, be on the podcast for like ages. And I'm so grateful to have you on. And the first question I want to ask you, if you can let me know, you've, you've built a very big, beautiful, successful series that interviews 10 well-known athletes, musicians, entrepreneurs, creators from all walks of life. You take them to their favorite restaurant and then, in your words, that becomes the backdrop for a conversation on achieving and pursuing the American dream. Mm. So my question to you is, why journalism? So my background is local news. I was a reporter in small, medium, and large cities. I started out in South Bend, Indiana, worked in Little Rock, Arkansas for five years, and then got the call of a lifetime to come anchor the morning news in New York City. I anchored the news in New York City for five years, and then I moved in transition to Chicago for the evening news and anchored at the CBS affiliate um, in Chicago for five years anchoring the evening news. So my backdrop, my background is interviewing people and it's local news. And what I learned in that experience is that, you know, I love to hear people's story and I love to hear how they created things out of nothing. That is really, if I had to pick the type of story that I like the most, that is it. And so for me, what I noticed is that people really come alive when they're talking about food and where they love to eat. It's one of my personal passions, but I know that even you don't have to be a foodie or someone who is really into food to have a favorite spot. Mm -hmm. And when people show you a place, whether it's in their hometown or just a place that they adore, you see a different side of them. You, they, their guard comes down and you're seeing a snapshot of who they really are. And for me, the concept of eating out and interviewing people in restaurants is really multifaceted. It's not just because I love to eat and I love to eat out. It really is a storytelling vehicle to get to know someone better. Is it hard to interview someone while they're eating or while you're eating? <laughs> depends on the guest. Um, I have no problem eating. Of course, I'm now in my fourth season of the show to dine for that's on PBS on Amazon Prime. But the, for me, I, I just love sitting down to a meal with someone. Rita, if you and I were to go out to eat at your favorite spot, whether that's in Australia or, or where it is in the world, we would have a different conversation than we would in a sterile uh, office, you know, or on a Zoom call, right? There, there's a level of connection you have when you're breaking bread and you're really having um, a meal and a conversation, you're connecting and you're relaxing. You can see people relax and enjoy themselves. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, some people are more comfortable eating. I mean, I've had guests that don't eat a bite. Oh. And I, I've had other, and I know, but but and then I have guests that, that, that literally can't stop eating. So you know, everyone has a different comfort level with, uh, with the premise of the program. But it, every episode seems to work out. Oh, obviously, obviously. <laughs> and then you've, because you've gone from anchor to hosting a show. Mm. Do you find that hosting a show, you have more leeway to be yourself and ask the questions you want to ask? Oh, yeah. 
oh, of course, they're completely different jobs. Um, sure, they have their roots in journalism, but they're very, very different um, aspects of television. And, you know, this show to dine for is some, you know, I'm the cre creator and producer of it. So I have a lot more freedom than I ever had in local news. And the subject matter is different. You know, it was the news of the day. It was a much more serious operation than to dine for. Mm -hmm. However, I will say that um, I find enormous meaning in both jobs. I felt very honored and privileged to do the local news. But for me personally, this program encapsulates everything that I'm really, really passionate about in life. And I bring all the skills that I um, acquired as a journalist to the program, whether it's writing, putting television together, um, trying to get guests, telling someone's story in a beautiful way and really allowing them to share their journey and their truth. I love that. So then when you moved to hosting your own show, was that an idea to dine for that you had? Was it yes. a yes idea? Oh, it was your idea. That was my idea. Oh, so then you pitched it PB to PBS? Yes, I pitched it everywhere. So I had, <laughs> when I had when I had the idea for the show, it was really more of a pipe dream. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing if you could interview some of the world's most fascinating people at their favorite restaurant? It was a hunch that dining would actually make for a better interview. And I think that the show proves that it absolutely makes for a, a really relaxed and wonderful experience for the guests to share their story. The question is, who's on the show and the, the guests on the show and the guest selection is crucial to the success of the program. And that is guests have to fall under two categories. One, they have created something on their own. So whether that is um, anything from a company, they're a founder, a CEO, to a book, they're an author, to an artist, they create works of art. Um, on this particular season upcoming, we have one of the world's most famous architects. So obviously she's created buildings around the world. And um, we, I like to dive into not only the journey of how they got where they are, but also really their creative process and what is their unique secret special sauce that they that they bring to their creations and they bring to the world. So when you pitch this, and you said you've pitched this to many people because of the reasons why, you know, there is a unique way to talk to someone when they're relaxed in their favorite place. It's a different conversation. I totally get that during lockdown. <laughs> I totally do yes. astoundingly. What when you do that, when you've pitched that, because for someone who's listening right now and they have an idea that they think, you know, I could potentially get this off the ground. What did you like? How do you, did you like do like one of those Shark Tank pitches where you had a 10 second, one minute thing? Did you like do a PowerPoint presentation? Did you like, did you talk about funding? Like, how did you go about it to get this off the ground? Well, it's interesting. It's, it's sort of, um, you know, the, the program is about how people created things, right? It's about all these guests, whether it's Howard Schultz of Starbucks or Sarah Blakely of Spanx or M. Night Shyamalan, the movie director. It's how they created things. And yet here I am trying to create my own television show, knowing nothing. Mm -hmm. So it was a very alternate universe. Um, I it was a story within a story. And so, yeah, me creating the show itself is its own story. And um, I was going through some of the same pain points that a lot of the guests on the program 
feel and experience. And that is, you know, people who tell you it can't be done, people who tell you you're crazy, people who tell you that um, you'll never get that done. I had an agent tell me that's never going to happen. Um, when I, when I walked in and told him my idea. So what do you do with all that, right? What do you do with all that rejection and negativity? Even my mother was like, really? Why don't you, why don't you get a, a news anchor position? Because that's what I was, right? That's what people always want you to continue doing. People, you know, subconsciously put you in boxes mm -hmm. and in some con sometimes consciously too. And they tell you you're in a box and you start to believe you're in a box, but no one's in a box, right? Everyone can try something a little bit different and think outside of the realm of their possibility. And for me, creating a television show after you know almost 17 years on television, mm -hmm. um, to me, even though I didn't really know how to do it, I did feel equipped for the job, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, it was a daily battle of self-doubt and it was about creating a pilot for the program you know, a pilot show. So going out and actually having to self-fund and um, shoot and produce a pilot that then could be shown to various entities and networks to see if they're interested in it. So, I mean, there is definitely a process to creating a television show that I learned along the way. And it's, you know, it's a thousand different calls and it's, it's trying to talk to anyone who you think might have any level of expertise in the realm of producing a television show. And that's kind of what I set out to do. How long did it take you in the initial stage? Yes, I would say a solid 18 months. Okay. A solid 18 months to not from, from the concept of the idea, uh, concept, you know, ideating to shooting the pilot, to having the meetings, to trying to figure out a strategy to getting it on the air, I would say 18 months. And in the pilot, this would be interesting, in the pilot, who had, did you interview? So no, you know, no, first of all, if you're trying to do a show about like really well-known people, successful people, no one's gonna do yeah. a, a pilot from a girl who's never created a TV show. So I thought, gosh, who can I get that would be, you know, I really, at that time, I knew I could not get anyone super famous, but I wanted someone who had such a fascinating story that it would make an amazing pilot. And um, I reached out to a young woman named Catherine Minshew, who created a company called The Muse, which helps people find jobs. And she had this amazing founder story. She was a young, like, uh, early 30-something woman with this incredible scrappy from a studio apartment with $5,000 created this ultra successful um, career job website. And I remember I had a connection with her because I had met her at an event. I called her up and asked her if I could meet with her and she had no time on her schedule. I mean, she's living in Manhattan. She's like, I don't. However, I have to give a speech downtown New York at like five o'clock. If you will meet me at this speech, I can walk walk to my next event with you. Wow. And that's the only time I have. And I said, great. So I went to her speech and I walked to the event and I said, I'd love to interview you about your career, but I'd like to shoot it as a pilot for a TV show. And um, she said, yes. And she said, I'll give you 50 minutes. And keep in mind, the TV show is 30 minutes. So I had literally no room for error. And um, we, we shot it. And that was, you know, many years ago. And she ended up being one, her, her story was one of the first 
episodes. It was it was actually episode 10 of season one of To Dine For. You can see the actual pilot if you go to To, oh, wow. uh, to Dine For season one. So that's either on, if you have Amazon Prime, it's on Amazon Prime um, on season one. And then it's also on pbs.org. So this is what's interesting, because I was looking at the model of To Dine For. I know it gets broadcast on PBS. And did you say CBS as well? No, it also on Amazon Prime. Amazon. So if you put Amazon.com uh, and then you put in the video and put it to Dine For with Kate Sullivan, it will come up. All the seasons will come up. And that's the, because this that's quite different to what's experienced in Australia, which is when you go and watch something, it's usually available you know, on that channel's website, but it's not with you. And to dine for, it's actually the model is that you actually go and pay for it, which I think is brilliant. Now, I, where did you find it, Rita? Where did I, you find this? I actually found it on Amazon Prime. You did? Okay. Yeah. Yes, but okay. that's a model I'd never seen before. I have not seen it in Australia. So it was completely new to me that I was like, that's really, yeah. And I was just like, oh, I've never seen this before. Yeah. So is that is that common in America to do that? Um, you know, it's PBS is linear television. So it's, um, you know, on televisions across the country nationwide. And then six months later, um, we have an, uh, our rights to put it, you know, wherever we want. And we have, uh, we, we do, it becomes non-exclusive, what they consider non-exclusive rights. And then it goes on Amazon Prime streaming. So it's an option for, for independent producers like myself. I love that. And when you say funding it, for someone who's listening, are you calling up sponsors and saying, hey, this is my radio, yes. this is, that's what you're doing. You're literally yes. hustling on Grand Hustle. Yes. Did you ever feel like this is out of my depth? I'm not a salesperson. I don't know. I'm a journalist. Every day. Oh, Every day, Rita. I was saying that to my husband, who is a salesperson today. Oh. Um, I feel that way every day. And I think, you know, when I, ha when I have those moments, and they are frequent, um, my my talent lies in storytelling in actually producing the show, but I would say producing the show is about 10% of what I do because 90% is logistics of creating the show and 90% is trying to get funding for the program and it is sales and it is marketing and it is hustle and it is hard and anyone who's out there in sales knows what it is and it's a numbers game and it's getting out there and I've learned an enormous amount but what I have to remember is you know this is um, something that I believe in with my whole heart that the power to connect over a meal is nothing more powerful and that telling these stories of how people did it and how they achieved success in a lot of different ways not just financial or career, but personal and spiritual and mental health success and what that looks like. All of these stories of creation are actually helping people because they're showing people blueprints of how to do things. Like if someone had an idea to create something on their own, they could watch the show and in a lot of different iterations, the different guests would show you how. And for me, I recently was interviewed by a young woman who said that she feels like, you know, the show is, is cheering her on from afar. And I thought that was such a nice way. I, I, I'd never heard that. That really uh, affected me because I do feel like this is program is a form of a support system for creatives for founders, for people who are just getting started, for people who have an idea and want to bring it to fruition. And the 
how dynamic it is to have to bring something, whether you're writing a book, whether you're starting a company, whether you are a small business and you're crafting and you're wanting to sell your wares, like all the different things you need to learn about sales and marketing and strategy and getting in front of people. They're all these lessons are in the show. Mm-hmm. All the guests are sharing these secrets and sharing their own version of how they did it. And so you know, whenever I, I get down about not being a natural salesperson, um, I, I think to myself, you know, there's a purpose greater than myself mm. is why I'm doing it. And um, that that keeps me going. But yes, you, you hit on a, a definite pain point of mine right now. Yeah. Because being a storyteller, being a journalist, there's no, you know, training in terms of sales and marketing. Did you have to go and do a class or do an online digital program on how to sell, how to talk, the talk. Did you do any of that or was it just off the cuff? It's so funny because journalism and sales and marketing really stand diametrically opposed to each other. And they're very different ways of walking through the world. One is telling the truth and getting to the heart of a story without thinking about the financial ramifications of it. And there's a reason why there's a separation between journalism and sales. And I understand that completely. And I understood it as a journalist, but I understand it even more at doing what I have to do now both. Um, I learned by trial and error. I learned by an enormous amount of reading. I learned by connecting with any one of my friends who had marketing in their title on LinkedIn and asking for 20 minutes of their time. I learned by watching videos on YouTube of sales and marketing. And I learned by trying to understand the, you know, all of the the brand marketers that I reach out to and what their needs are and how to dine for could possibly fit into their needs. Um, and, 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 you know, honestly, it's a, I'm a work in progress, just like anyone listening. So <laughs> if, if anyone has any tips for me, feel free to email me. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's interesting because you're doing the sales, you're doing the marketing. And what I find even more insightful is that you're spending what you said, 10% on the production of the show, producing it versus 90% in the background, getting it all happening. Yes. Do you do, like, do you do everything, like find the cameraman to finding the guy that's gonna hold the boomer, like the boom, voice boom. Like, are you doing everything? Like, do you have anyone contracted to give you a hand? Like in the- no, day- no, work with, Yeah, no, no, no. We work with freelancers mm-hmm. um, that, we work with crews around the country. Um, and we work at an amazing amount of crews, um, you know, New York, LA, we have a stable of really incredibly talented people. We have a producer that works um, on to dine for John Golner. I'll give a shout out to John. He works not only on the TV show, but also on the podcast because we have a 50 episode podcast called to dine for the podcast. That is also along the same vein, but obviously different because the show it takes a deeper dive and into the restaurants and into and we're there. Usually, um, the podcast we do virtually, but yeah, we're 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 we are hustling. We are and we are thankfully telling amazing stories and inspiring stories, and that's what really keeps us going. And so the 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 jump from trying to get the guests, the caliber of guests that you wanted. Was that simply by having PBS say yes to your pilot? Is that what allowed someone like Sarah Blakely, Tom's founder, to come and say, yep, I want to be on your show? So we started out with season one with an amazing list of guests. We had Howard Schultz of Starbucks. We had Norman Lear, the great Norman Lear, one of the most um, innovative and amazing television producer, producers of our time. We also had Jose Andres, 
um, the chef and humanitarian of World Central Kitchen, who we interviewed him. And then two, two months later, he was uh, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. So it, uh, or he was a candidate, I should say. Um, so we had a lot of good timing and a lot of luck. Jessica Elba of The Honest Company was in our first season. So we had some really dynamite guests right out of the gate, which really helped to, to give the show momentum and to get eyeballs on the show. And then it's sort of grown from there. I mean, I really look when um, I'm trying to cast the show for some of the most dynamic storytellers and innovators and visionaries of our time. And so I'm looking at a lot of different things as to who would be a great guest. It's not just someone who's famous or has a big, big name. It's really what have they done? What have they created? And how are they using what they have created to serve the world? If they fall into that category, I, you can bet I have an email out to them. Mm, and so that's how you, you proceed. You send out an email and then you let it go from there. It's not mm -hmm. Do you find, because I know you go, you, you travel from place to place to, to get to the favorite restaurant of the guests. Yeah. And how has that affected it during COVID? Because I know season four is coming out. Like yeah, no, no. Season three, we shot entirely during the pandemic, yeah. which is stunning in hindsight. I actually can't believe we did it. Um, we had a couple of episodes done and we were like, in, if you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, like March, April, May, no one knew what was going on. Was this going to last 12 weeks, 10 weeks? We had no idea. And so we made the decision to proceed with caution. And what would have taken probably six months took a year to produce season three. But we literally went one show at a time in a, in a city or a state that, was a, that we were allowed to be. We followed every rule. Everyone was masked. Um, we, we checked in on the guests' comfort, comfort. Are they willing to do this? We also shot exclusively in empty restaurants so that we did not um, in any way make anyone feel crowded or affect the, the restaurant's business. I was wondering um, about that. I'm thinking, did you get everyone to leave? Like when you do your interviews, like, do you ask everyone, can no one be in the restaurant while we? Well, no. <laughs> well, pre-pandemic, I like to shoot in a restaurant that has some atmosphere because I think it adds to the show. But now that we're in this pandemic, I don't want to in any way affect the restaurant's business. I mean, one of the reasons why I did the show is I love the hospitality industry. They're, they're waiters, bartenders, servers, everyone, cooks, chefs, everyone who's in the hospitality industry is my favorite. Those are my favorite type of people. And those are my, the reason why I do the show. And um, I feel like this is show is a chance to high five them to showcase their American dream. Because very often the restaurant, the story of creating a restaurant and making a restaurant succeed is hard work, iteration, innovation, and all of the same themes that, that are with the guests. So I always say with this program, you get two American dream stories at one, you get the one of the restaurant and one of the guests, but um, no, we never kick anyone out. We, ne we, we always work around people and we always take the temperature of the restaurant and see their comfort level. And every restaurant is different. Okay, all right, fair enough. And then because you mentioned before, you have a young family as well. From female to female, how do you balance what you're doing? Because you're you're running your own little, you're running your own entrepreneurial venture. Yes, it happens to be on TV and not in a boardroom. That's right. Building, and so how do you manage? You know, the being a mum and your time in doing all of this, and then traveling like 
went to restaurants. Yeah, it 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 does take some finagling, I will say. Um, I I don't know. I don't think my life right now is balanced. You, if that makes any sense, you know, I've had periods of I'm my life. Woman. <laughs> yeah, I have had periods of my life that felt very balanced. Um, and they involved no husband and no children. That was lovely. There was no, there was a lot of balance. I had no love, but lots of balance. Um, and now it is just, it is just chaos at our house. I mean, we have a six-year-old boy, a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old boy. And um, it's, it's insane. And then to balance the job and whatnot, it's, it's been quite challenging. <laughs> We could do a whole podcast on that, Rita. Yeah, but I, yeah. Do you have nannies to help you, or are you like you and your husband are like hands on? Just doing it so the the oldest is in first grade, and the other two go to daycare. Okay, okay, that helps. So, look at you. Yes, yes, they do. Well, I mean, there's almost they would be absolutely impossible yeah. if they if I did not have any care at all. Yeah. So I, 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 my heart goes out to. Um, moms who stay home, I think they're the most courageous, most wonderful, most, you know, um, underrated women of our world, because that is the hardest job. And I, I mean, I'm, I struggle every day and I do send my children to daycare. So I can't imagine staying home. And do you do the cooking? Like, are you cooking dinner? I do do the cooking. I will say, I just, in fact, my husband, okay. So we started talking at four, at 3.40, he dropped me off and I just whipped up a chicken and broccoli, sesame oil, onion, garlic. Yeah, a Chinese dish that I'm really excited about. So I can cook and I can cook fast. So that is- <laughs> a superpower. Yes. I love, I love cooking. Well, well, obviously, because you're a foodie and this idea that sprung up about... I love it. So, so let me ask you this. Have you ever been nervous about interviewing the big names that you would consider a big name to you? All of them, yes. I'm nervous all the time. Um, I'm nervous every, before every uh, interview. I can't sleep the night before. Oh. I, I usually, because of my schedule, I fly in the night before. I stay in a hotel, but I usually try to do like an afternoon flight because of the kids. I stay overnight and I always try to do the interviews at lunch and then fly home the next day. Wow. So I'm really not, you know, out and about or as seem as much as I seem, although that is still quite a bit of travel with 10 episodes. Um, but the, the real story is where do I eat the night before? Because that's where I get to pick. And um, I'm, I love, I'm obsessed with restaurants. So I'm always like, whenever I'm going to a new city, I do all this research to make sure I go to a great one. But the, um, the, the, the restaurant is, is you know, it, it isn't in my hands, right? It's in the hands of the guest. Mm -hmm. So it, people say, oh, or is there any ever a time where you don't like the food? And I said, you know, it, it, I don't need, that doesn't even enter my mind because I'm so obsessed and in love with the concept of trying to extract the best story from this guest as possible, mm -hmm. that the fact that they chose that restaurant is the, the most important thing. The fact, finding out why they chose it, what it says about them, and then hearing their story, making them feel comfortable. And really, you know, it, it's an interesting role because it's both a journalistic role because you're asking questions, but it's also a host role because it, needs to be not a one-way street when we have a meal who wants to you know not have feel like you're part of a give and take to a conversation so there's sort of an art to it 
Yeah, love it. And do you have notes in front of you, like the questions that no. I want? Oh, you don't. You don't. No, no notes. No. Really? No. no. Like, I'm just gonna jog my. Yeah because, yeah, because imagine if you go out to eat with somebody and they're sitting there with a list of notes to ask you. Wouldn't that feel different than if they just order a Negroni and you know really listen? So you know, part of an interview thinking, oh, I should have asked that. Wish oh I yeah. Asked. Oh okay. yeah. But you know, you when it's kind of like anyone who's had a conversation with anyone after an hour, you know, there's going to be things that you should have asked. There's always, that's going to be the case for any interview or conversation. The thing is I go into every interview, very well-researched. Um, I've, I've really have done my research. I know the person, I know the person's story. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I kind of have a guide of how and what I want to ask, but I let that go. I let, I let go of all that because if I were to keep to a list of questions, I, you would have a very different interview than if you let it just happen okay. and you don't listen to what they're saying. Okay, love it. Okay. Well, I know you've got a rock and roll, Kate, but before you do, I've yeah. just got a quick round of rapid fire questions that I thought of. First answer is the right answer. Whatever okay. First, your gut tells you the right thing. Okay. Right. So number one, now what's the hardest thing about turning your passion into to dine for? Money, lack of. Lack of money. What's the easiest part? Eating. <laughs> what? <laughs> no money and, and eating's good. Do you prefer texting or talking? Talking. Talking. Okay. What do you believe that other people think is crazy? Do I have to think it's crazy? I just think they think it's crazy. It's crazy. What do you believe in that others think is crazy? Oh, what do I believe in mm -hmm. that others think is crazy? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Uh, let me pass and come back to that because I really want to give that some thought. Okay. Your favorite guest so far? Oh, I can't answer that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I have really enjoyed so many of the guests. And um, I guess if I had to pick anyone, I loved Kevin Kwan, just a very oh. easy interview. Okay. Uh, the author of Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. I just, that, that was just a, such a delightful man. He's such a delightful man. He's an author. I really love interviewing authors. And um, I just, no pretenses, despite, you know, uh, having uh, had the experience of, of hearing his father's incredible story of growing up in wealthy Singaporean family. Mm. Uh, I just thought he was just so, just delightful. Beautiful. And mm. then what has paid off more for you? Who you know, for to, in considering to dine for who you know, or what you know? What I know. What you know. Yeah, I don't really, I didn't really know anyone. Yeah. I mean, I think that's important for people to know. Like, yes, I had a background in journalism and, and had worked as a reporter, but I really didn't know anyone and I really didn't know how to create a TV show. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's the takeaway. I really want people to realize, and that's really what I'm trying to impart with, with the program is that, um, you know, to sort of demystify success to take a look at it, to take a hard look at it and to look at different 
ways that people see creativity, to see innovation, what are they creating and how did they do it? And to also fuel the flame of whatever the viewer and or the listener is working on. Mm-hmm. Because we all need inspiration, we all need support, we all need ideas, and we all need the uh, need to hear stories of people who didn't know anyone, who didn't have the money, and were able to figure it out. And that really is you know, at the heart of, of what to dine for is all about. Love it. And then the love, finally, what do you believe that others may think is crazy with your answer to what you just said? Before that one? What do you believe? Oh, this is so great. I, I, you've got, you've stumped me. I know there's something really, really good. To, and I'm going to think of it when okay, we no problem. No problem. That's fine. But I love the question. I, I do. I may incorporate it into the dine yeah. for it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kate. I truly appreciate you. And I wish you every success for season four. Thank you, Rita. I feel the same way about you. Thank you so much. And thank you to your listeners. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.